0: Yeah. So we're going to go over the pastoral covenant to the church. And I think the first question is going to be, why I even have a covenant? Um, I don't know about you, but I, I actually have not seen many people who have covenants for their pastors give, do a covenant to their people. I've, I've not experienced that personally. Maybe you have, which is great. Um, but I think the reason why we do covenants in general is to set expectations and for you to know what we are committing to, you. And, and that also helps you know what we're not committing to. Because all of us have healthy and unhealthy expectations from each other. Um, Things that are accurate and inaccurate about what we expect from each other. And so this is exactly what we are committing to you as leaders. um, And also what you should hold us accountable to keep. Um, Because we're going to talk about the membership covenant too and far be it for there to be only a one-sided covenant where you have all this obligation, but we're kind of just free for all to do whatever. So I'm going to read um, point by point and unpack them, and, and then we can have a Q&A time after. So, as shepherds and overseers of a local church, we are entrusted with protecting, leading, equipping, and caring for the corporate church body and her individual members. So by the power of the Holy Spirit... I solemnly and joyfully covenant to never domineer over or abuse the flock, but, but, but rather to lovingly care and watch over them as under-shepherds who will give an account to the chief shepherd, namely Jesus. So let me unpack that quickly. We're under-shepherds, meaning that we, we don't own you. We're, we're just stewarding who God has given us, and ultimately, Jesus owns us, and we're going to be held accountable, and one day he's going to hold us accountable in a way that he will not hold you accountable. Leaders will be held to a stricter, and teachers will be held to a stricter judgment, uh, whatever that exactly means when it comes down to it. And so we're committing, and the reason why we wanted to front domineering in the beginning is because, as you all know, leaders are often known for to domineer or abuse the flock, abuse their leadership. Uh, power corrupts people. So we want to front end that, is that we want to commit to never domineer or abuse the flock in any way, but instead of doing that, we want to love and care and watch over you. And this watch over language comes from Hebrews 13, where it says that we will be account- held accountable for keeping watch over your soul, souls, which is weighty, which is very, very weighty. How are your people, Sam? How are they doing? How, how's their marriage? How's their single life? How is their intimacy with God? How is all their stuff? Where, where are they at? We're going to be held accountable for keeping watch over your souls, which, um, which is a weighty matter, which requires us to know you well. You can't keep watch over people you don't know well. So that's, that, there's a lot of points here that imply other things. It implies us actually having a relationship with you. Number two, to be accessible to the flock in such a way where every member has reasonable access to at least one pastor or pastoral candidate, just as Jesus knew his flock. Jesus knows every name of the flock, and we don't ever want to be a church where we have lots of people who would call us pastors, and yet they don't, we don't even know they exist, or they don't know their name which, is, um, which is, requires us to know people again and to have accessibility and to be approachable. So we're committing for every member, that's a big difference between member and attendee, for every member to have access to at least one pastor or pastoral candidate, a reasonable access, regular access, and to be known. So, now, so that, you know, God, God willing is he gives us growth. If we are, whatever it is, a number in the next couple of months or a year, that not every member will know me well, personally, but every member needs to know at least one of the pastors or pastoral candidates well and have that access. Does, does that make sense? I think that's a, that's a good bar. It's, a, it's a attainable, but it's also weighty because it requires us to do a lot of leadership development and constantly empower other people and probably requires us to multiply and plant more churches rather than try to be the next big thing and be a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, whatever it is, a giga church, ten thousand people. We, we just don't believe we can shepherd well, and so we're going to be, be intentional about that. Um, and the, the, the word reasonable is an important word, <laughs> because there are some people who, who expect um, 24-7 access about anything and everything. And, and that is, will not be healthy for the pastors nor healthy for that person. There will be an unhealthy codependency that we're going to have to be careful and shepherd. So there's a fine line between being dependent on each other as a family and having an unhealthy codependency. And so that's why that word reasonable is there. Um, so even with the pastors, one of their job requirements is to make sure they put their family first. And so if someone is impeding that on a regular basis in an unhealthy manner, there's a way to be very healthy to where we intersect our lives. But if it's regular in a way that's unhealthy and it's um, violating boundaries and it's middle of the night all the time, regularly, without um, any care for the pastors, we're going to make sure we take care and and shepherd and grow through that. Um, So there's a fine line. Uh, The other end is where pastors can be overly professional in the sense it's like, Oh, like, yeah, I'll see you in my office, you know, three weeks from now at this time. And it's, I'll see you then. God bless you. Um, where it's very, we're not a family. It's very more like a counselor's office where you sign in. So there's a fine line between um, unhealthy dependency and, and very institutionalized. And it's um, impersonal. Number three, to be on guard against false teachers and teachings. Um, this, this seems kind of unnecessary to be in there that one of the commitments is to guard you from false teachings, but the reality is we're all under attack from the evil one to believe wrongly about God. So it could be an extreme level, like there's a heresy that gets really popular and starts taking over lots of seminaries, and we're like, oh, we got to watch out for that and help you make sure that we don't fall into these unhealthy truths. But it could be simple, simple as, hey, let me not help you fall into the idolatry of materialism. So that's an important way to call that we have to guard you from the lies of the evil one in those ways. Number four, to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture, always being submitted to the Scripture as the final authority. And so it is so important to make sure we stress that Jesus is the leader of this church and we follow him. And as much as we follow him, you follow us we, is, is what we're calling you to and that we're going to continually go to the Word as the final authority and what we teach, that the Word is sufficient for all things in life that we need uh, for godliness. And so that is going to be, we're committing to be Bible people. Number five, to equip the members of the church for the work of ministry. Our goal, according to Ephesians 4, one of the primary goals of a pastor is not to just teach you, but to teach you to teach others, to teach you how to do what we do. So my goal, honestly, in 10 years from now, whatever, wherever this church will be or if we multiply into other churches, is that I will do less counseling 10 years from now than I do t- this next year. Reason being is I want to train other people to counsel. I want other people in the church to be able to counsel and to teach and to, to preach and all the other kind of things and how to share with your, um, your neighbors and how to engage people and care, and so our goal primarily is to help other people do it. So we, we want to feed you, but also we want to teach you how to use your tool, get more tools to feed yourself. This is extremely important to us. We are we want to be a empowering empowering church rather than a enabling church. Come and feed at our banquet, but not. But we want to do that. But we want to set a table through the word, but we also want to teach you how to make the meal. Also. Um, and give you opportunities not only to learn, but to exercise your gifts and to empower you to use your gifts rather than just come to see us use our, our gifts. Number six, to lovingly exercise discipline when necessary for the glory of God, the good of the one discipline and the health of the church as a whole. Now, we talked about church discipline a couple of weeks ago, but um, just want to highlight that this is a loving thing and it's when necessary. And discipline rarely should look like excommunication. That should be the last part of a long process, in most cases. It's usually gonna just be like a small conversation an observation, a question, a prayer, and just talking to people. And that is important for the good and the health of the church. And in fact, if we neglect discipline, we're actually going to destroy the church because 1 uh, Corinthians talks about this. It, it's, like, it's like this leaven that, that starts to spread, this, this unhealthy growth in the church. And if we let those things go unchecked, it's going to destroy the church. So it is a loving thing, which I keep em- emphasizing love is because our culture has divorced love and discipline. And those are not divorced, according to God, in the the scriptures. Number seven, to set an example for members in conduct, biblical obedience, and fulfilling the obligations of the membership covenant. This is not a call to perfection, but it is a call that every leader should be someone that we can look to you and say, follow this person as they follow Christ. If we can't say that with a clean conscience, they should not be a pastor. And so we want to be exemplary in all of these things that we're calling you to, so that we don't want to call you to anything that we're not doing ourselves. Number eight, to use the criteria, criteria in the scriptures when appointing leaders, elders, and deacons, including staff who serve in these offices. In other words, we are going to constantly use the word as a final litmus test on how to weigh who is qualified or not. We, we are not going to do things like, oh, this person is my brother, I don't have a brother. That I know of. Um, this is my brother. They're going to be a pastor now because they're my brother. Or, you know, nepotism. I think that's called nepotism, right? Or, you know, so this person has money. You know, they're, you know we're always going to hold up the scriptures as the final call of if someone is eligible or um, qualified. Number nine, to par- prayerfully seek God's will for the church community and steward her resources to the best of our ability based on our study of scriptures and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We, we do not want to lead the church as if we are the leaders. Like I said, Jesus is a leader, and so we're going to be prayerful about every, every cent spent and every decision made. And, and, and with that said, we, we're going to ask for grace is because we're going to miss it at times. We're going to miss it. We're going to make a decision. We're going to be like, hey, we're going to meet at this time. And, and several of you are going to be like, they're, they're, they're dumb. That's a terrible time. Which is why it's important for you guys to give us feedback and talk with us. But I, I say that to say, we're, we, everything we do, just know we're going to be bathed in prayer, begging God for His wisdom, wanting what's good. And we're going to fail at times. And you're just going to have to be patient with us and help us and walk with us. But just know that everything is because we're trying to follow the Scriptures and the leading of the Spirit. Number 10 to joyfully, and finally, to joyfully submit to the de- decisions of the pastors when such decisions do not conflict with any of the above criteria, the membership covenant or the affirmation of faith. So this is a helpful line that Ross um, thought of. I, I didn't think of this, but I think this is really good. Um, as our team grows, right now it's Ross and I, and then Travis and Dale are are kind of like pastoral covenants. Dale is, Dale is, sorry, I shouldn't have said, Dale's still praying through that. Um, but, there's going to be times where we're going to make a decision that we're not, not everybody on the team is gung-ho for. But they're like, I can go with it. I would do it differently, but I'll go with it. If that ever is the case, and that's going to be the case because we're not all clones, hence the beauty of a team. We're committing that none of us are going to try to start our own little faction. You hear that decision? It's a dumb Sam's decision. I didn't like the decision. What do you guys think about my decision? Oh, that's a great, yeah, I know, I, I know it's great. And then we just kind of start this little faction. Uh, you, have you guys ever seen that in church where there's just these little, like, oh, I like Sam, or no, I like Ross. Sam's too loud. Ross is quiet and, is, and very deliberate in his speak. Sam just, just t- talks too much, you know, like, you know, and you, and you create these little factions and, oh, you like that decision. So anyway, number 10 is our commitment to fight for unity and what, whatever we agree on, we are going to champion together. So, those are the 10 things we are committing. Um, we're, this is not the only things we're committing, but we, we are at least committing to these things, and these encompass so much. So, that is the pastoral covenant to the church, to all people's church.